Welcome to the Daniel Artes Podcast. And today, I have a special interview. I have Chicago high school hoops legend, Ronnie Fields. Now, Ronnie Fields is someone that I call a mythical creature. And what I mean is that these are the hoopers I heard about via word of mouth, but I never saw a play. The stories people have told about this man in high school are stories of legend, but it's all facts. Now, most know Ronnie Fields to be the high school teammate of NBA legend Kevin Garnett, but he's more than that. Let me run it down. He's a three-time Parade All-American from 1994 to 1996. He's also the first high school sophomore ever to play in the best of the best game at the Nike All-American Basketball Camp. Also, in 1996, he was having one of the most impressive years a high school player can have. I mean, he was a monster. His senior year, he led his squad to the Chicago Public League Championship, putting up a crazy stat line as a guard. 32 points, 12 rebounds, 5 assists, 4 blocks, 4 steals per game. He also became a consensus first-team All-American. That means in Parade Magazine, USA Today, and also McDonald's All-American, he was first-team. He was basically a top-five talent. And he also won the state of Illinois' Mr. Basketball as well. He was on his way, but tragedy struck. A car accident cut short his NBA dreams, but he was still able to have a professional basketball career playing across the world in countries like Venezuela, Turkey, Lebanon, Dominican Republic, Puerto Rico, and Greece. Ronnie was still able to play the game he loves even after a devastating injury. Thank you for listening to the Daniel Artest Podcast. Here is Ronnie Fields. Every city, there's one player that everyone says who's better than Michael Jordan. You know what I mean? Where I'm from in NYC, we had the late, great streetball legend, Ali Mo. So how does it feel when you hear that about yourself? Well, for me, I guess, you know, to be, the one to be mentioned in, you know, even at your early age with being compared to a guy, the greatest, you know, basketball player, you know, of all time. It's like, I don't think when you at a young age, you know, it's like you look and understand what it take for a person to be that great and to get to that level. Because as a kid, you just playing, you enjoying the game, you learning more about the game. But you know, it's a, it's like a humbling, you know, situation where you hear a lot of people that compare you to that person. So you start to watch them and idolize them and try to pick up some of the things that make that person great. And for me, being close in the backyard of watching. You know, a player like Jordan, um, it was it was a lot easier to to be there, um, watch him, pick up a lot of his habits, his his mentality, along with just playing in in the city of Chicago, where you're going out, you had to have the toughness to play in the conference that we played in, competed in for years. Is one of the toughest conferences I've seen in the country, mm-hmm. and the players and the, the beating and the you know because we adopted in my era, and back then was the the physicality play of basketball which you know showed you where you know the how to play through the you know the physicalness the you know like it's games where you know you can get beat down really bad that's one of the biggest experience that Kevin faced when he got to Chicago was he seen basketball like that you know over around the country and I played against a lot of guys you can see guys play and be talented and skilled but you 
they never played in that type of brutal, you know, environment. Um, you know, you might get it in New York, you might get it in Chicago, you might get it even in, in Philly and some parts of LA as well. Um, but that's what pretty much, you know, um, put me in that situation from a mental standpoint, not just the athletic ability to be able to be compared to a guy like Jordan, because you, you know, we all know what he played through and the things he had to deal with to be able to, you know, become the greatest to take on that physicality and that, you know, every night when guys was able to put their hands on you. Yeah. And those wasn't like, oh, like now they you put a hand on the brother, that's intentional, you ejected. Mm. You know, back then for us, you know, that wasn't, you know, shit, that was normal for guys to get fouled hard and just play through it. Mm. Yeah, you remember back in the time when we played, you know, you had times when people fight on the court. It wasn't even a technical foul most of the time. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and that's what we like. We knew, like, playing, like, hey, dude, you're going to have to play through this. This part of it. You calling a foul for that? No, right. you ain't bleeding or your arm falling off. You better still be able to compete. Yeah. What I, what I want to ask you, uh, bro, is uh, how did it feel in that 95 season at uh, Farragut to be the hottest ticket in Chicago? You know what I'm saying? Y'all was even hotter than Chicago Bulls at that time. It was crazy because it was like, like I say, when you're young teenagers, you you feel the hype. Mm -hmm. you, you see the people and it's like putting on the show. But for us, it was a show to them. For us, it was the love of the game and just going out there and competing. So those right. combinations so happened to come together where it brought a lot of people from all over the country to watch us play. And we start really realizing like, damn, we selling out places and we got lines of people out here. And we used, you know, like go to barbershop, get our hair cut. You see guys jumping out of the chair to try to get to our games. And then, you know, out to our games, the people here right over the United Center, um, you know, watch some of the Bulls games. But at that time, I guess being teenagers, we never looked at like, damn, we are the hottest ticket right now in Chicago in front of a lot of our professional teams. Yeah, right. Did y'all used to play at uh, Chicago State sometime, right? Um, Was it Chicago played, State? We played at the UIC Pavilion. Um, UIC Pavilion. Yeah, yeah, we played there. You know, we sold yeah. that place out. I think we were probably we was the only person to sell it out of ten thousand capacity yeah. at the time. Um, um, where it was just to a point where where we played, you know, we had people waiting outside, lining up. Um to just get in and, and like since, you know, I don't think it had that effect, even with some of the great players that we had come out lately from Jabari and Derrick Rose and Jaleel, we, you know, you still had impacts, but it still hasn't been the impact that we had. Mm, mm, that's interesting, mm. that's interesting. So I want to take it back a little bit. Um, so uh, I read a story about you being cut from the basketball team in the sixth grade. Uh, when do you realize that you was going to be a really talented player? Was there a, a, a um, particular moment where it just clicked for you and you really started to just take uh, basketball serious? You know what was so crazy about that was like, what happened was I, I started off playing baseball. So oh, wow. I really didn't have a, a field to go like, only reason basketball, to be honest, entered the, 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 the conversation in my life is because where we played in Franklin Park, 
where, you know, like a lot of kids, you know, like Alfonso McKinney grew up at, it was a, it was a baseball diamonds there. So we had minor league teams playing there. Um, and then we played. So the right there was the basketball court. So sometimes like me and my cousin would be like, man, I got to get the baseball practice. And then I'd be like, you know what, let me go over and watch some of these guys play. So mm-hmm. when those guys was done, me and my cousin would just play like little one-on-one games, fighting each other and all this other stuff. And then I'm like, ah, it's okay, you know. Um, but I was focused on, you know, baseball because I was pretty good at it. And my coach was like, man, just continue to keep playing. So I was like, okay, but I still go play over there with the guys. And then I decided to play in they little pickup. And I was like, I wondered if these guys are going to pick me or not. You know, I was just one odd man. They ain't never really seen me play. They just seen me <laughs> playing around. Right. And I was just doing stuff I seen them do. And right. when I played the five on five, finally, I was like, oh, okay. I like it a little bit. Yeah. So what happened, I, you know, we end up moving. Me and my mom and, and sister end up moving. So at the time when you look, when you move nine, ten blocks, you think, you know, damn, we moved far. And where it really wasn't when I look at it, I could have walked back to where I played baseball. But yeah. I just didn't think about it. They had basketball court out there at, you know, at the school I went to, Mason. So mm-hmm. I just started doing that a little more. So I was like, you know, my sixth grade, I'm like, I'm going to try out for the team. Hmm. With guys that have been playing much longer than me. Yeah. So I got cut. I got cut. But oh. then by that time when I got cut, I realized this is something I really wanted to play. Hmm. So what I started doing is getting up early before the school bell ring, getting out there playing in the yard. And then they had like a little summer program league that was outside called Mason Westside Class. So I was my seventh grade year. Some of the dogs are like, you can play on a team. So for me at the time, I'm like excited. I get one minute on the court, two minutes on the court. I ain't care. I was just like that. They were grown men. Yeah. And then I started seeing things in myself and I was enjoying it. Mm. So I kept playing and playing. I'm like, you know what? I ain't going to let me get cut last year. Stop me from going to try it again. So I did my seventh grade year. Mm. I was a whole different player then. And then the coaches recognized it. Mm. And we ended up having a good seventh grade year. So as I stopped feeling myself getting better, I stopped playing with my high school coach going into my eighth grade year. And I played with the grown man again. They okay. started giving me more minutes. Yeah. And from there, I just took off through that whole summer. And then I ended up being the number one eighth grade in this nation. Mm. Like, it just, no, my, no, I'm a freshman then. Then my uh, the top eighth grade in the state of Illinois, mm. and from there it was basketball nonstop the morning, the noon, the night, and everywhere. And, and um, from that experience of getting cut, my sixth grade year, most kids like give up. For me, I just got much hungrier. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. So you know, and I, and it's funny because I had another question, but I got to segue to this to this different question. So you know, being the number one ranked high school player in the nation, number one player in your state, you know, how did it feel to have that target on your back? Because for me, this was so crazy that people don't understand. I never looked at it as a target, though. Like for me, I just looked at it as like, oh, I get a chance to go out here and play. I get a chance to go out. We got games. I get a chance to go out here and you know enjoy myself and get better. 
I never looked at it as myself being the top player and like ever. I just looked at what I did on the floor and until I got certain challenges of like, it was the mental part of like, when people say, all right, you can tell people start embracing the teams we play, embracing the bad boy mentality against me. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, like, wait a minute, I'm like, oh, okay. But for me, I'm like, I've been playing with grown men my seven, eight, every year. Yeah. So that didn't affect me with high school, even seniors. I was just running through them dudes. I was like, oh, I get this how basketball is supposed to be played. Yeah. So when I embraced it and my mentality was like, oh, y'all doing this to me? Are y'all trying to do that? No, it was, oh, this basketball, let's play. So that's why I really didn't look at, you know, being the top player at the time of, you know, because some people can be the top player early on and take steps back. Mm -hmm, that's true. I didn't. I just kept moving forward and I kept getting better and better. That's true. That's true. You're right about that because there's definitely a lot of players that started out hot and then and then tailed off really quick. You know, they, some people peaked at 16 and everything. Yeah. So who who would you give credit to as far as your development in basketball? Because you did come on the scene really hot and was, one, like you said, the best player in your grade as soon as you came in. Oh, man. You know, like my high school coach, um, my grammar school coach, you know, Nelson and Mr. Fry for taking me and, and then a lot of my other friends um, just bringing me out there playing with them at the time. Oh, that's funny. As I'm talking to y'all, Mike Bibby just messaged me. <laughs> um, <laughs> but, um, yeah, it was a lot, you know, my high school coach, um, my grammar school coach, you know, is who I give a lot of credit to that pretty much continue to take me under their wings and keep me that environment. And what it did at the time, if you know anything about like Chicago, when drug game was real heavy back then, yeah, that kept me and they kept me just busy with, oh, playing ball here, playing ball there. And that's one of the biggest things where it was like, you know, I didn't get caught up in in the street aspect of it like that. Yeah. Um, even though I had a lot of my friends and stuff like that, that was, you know, did they thing, but they did it away from me. Yeah. And um, that's why it's like I said, I it's one of those things at the time, like it was bad. It could have went either way, but I embraced it and I went the way of like, this is what's going to give me the best chance to, be this type of player yeah and then and that's when i was able to continue to to get better and better and get invited to nike camp i ain't know nothing about that stuff either yeah <laughs> you know i was just like well i'm going long <laughs> he's like oh you're going to play ball oh okay yeah that's how i looked at it you know that's how i always looked at it yeah so um those things along the way that you know helped me you know, continue to get better. Yeah, yeah. The, the, the naive part of the game, it, it makes you better because when you have no knowledge of anybody, no knowledge of who the top player here and there, like you just go in there, you know, unafraid and stuff, you know? So, yeah. Because when I went, look, it's funny. This is, you can ask Bibby, Corey Benjamin, Jermaine, even Tim Thomas. Mm -hmm. I had no idea before Kobe, you know, made recipes, burst on the scenes. Those guys looked up to me as the best player in the country, I didn't even know that they was having those conversations about me until Corey and Vivian told me that. 
Uh, and them. I like I didn't know that. And those <laughs> guys was great they self in our class. Yeah. Yeah. And that's why I said it was a humbling to hear that. Um, you know, from those guys. Talk about Tim Thomas real quick, man. You know, um, a lot of people, you know, they see how he was in the NBA and everything, but nobody really nobody really seen him in high school like that. Like, just give us, like, just take a minute and just give us, like, how, how good this man was. Man, listen. Listen, I try to tell people. When I saw Tim Thomas and at the time of, like, big guards, Tim could do everything. Like, I'm like, to me, shit, that's the best player in the country. Mm. To me. Yeah. From being that size, can shoot it, handle it, pass it, smooth, mid-range. I mean, all that. Yeah. To me, in our class, to me, I would get that nod to him. Mm. Um, and we had Kobe, Bibby, Jermaine O'Neal, Steven Jackson. I mean, think about it. We had a crew. Yeah. You know, so that's, I mean, that's how great he was. Mm. That's crazy, man. You know, um, last week, last week I had William Gates from Hoop Dreams on the on the podcast, and you know he's from Chicago as well. He was telling me about his experience playing in the in the inner city in the streets of Chicago. So how was how was your experience? You know, just you know playing, you know that 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 street ball th- side of um, Chicago basketball. And it, it <laughs> trust me, it was. <laughs> listen, I took I tell people Kevin experience when he first came up here yeah. and and we took him to a place called BBR. Okay. Now, now Marcy Center. It's a place where you don't call fouls because if you do, you're going to get your ass whooped more likely. Yeah. So, you know, <laughs> don't, it just, and he didn't realize that's how it worked. You can't call no fouls, man. Yeah, you can't call fouls. Not like, like you call a foul, like, dude, that's almost like cursing somebody out. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so when he realized that, he's like, what the hell? What kind of basketball is this? I say, man, you either going to embrace it and get tough. Mm-hmm. My late great guy, Derek Woods, told him, dude, you'll be finger rolling no motherfucking basketballs up here. You better dunk everything you get when you buy the paint. Because mm-hmm. Kevin used to finger roll all the time. Wow, okay. He wouldn't dunk the ball. We're like, what the fuck you doing? You seven feet. <laughs> and <laughs> after that, after that, a lot of the stuff kind of kind of changed. Because mm. when you got a chance to play, you know, in, in Chicago, that's all guys knew. You got to think, people watched the Pistons and all of that stuff, and it was almost like, guys like, shit, man, damn. This how y'all play? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, just embrace it. You know, <laughs> you play through this shit, you can play through anything. Facts, facts, facts. <laughs> and that's what ended up happening for me to where it was like, oh, I thought it was normal to get your ass whoop on the court. <laughs> you know? <laughs> so, um, a lot of the guys, like I said, they embraced it. Guys got much better. And for me, it also, like I said, but any guy that had played and had their fair share of like playing in the situation where 
you can mentally get through the, the physicality yeah. and play through it, then you know your game was going to go to another level. Yeah, definitely, definitely, man. <laughs> that's funny. Kevin Garnett finger rolling basketball at the rim. That's hilarious right there. <laughs> yeah, he was doing he was doing that shit. My guy said, What the hell you doing, man? <laughs> you like, dude, come on now. Yo ass seven one, six eleven at the time. <laughs> and after that, all that stuff changed. And he started dunking everything. Yeah, that's awesome, man. That's awesome too to have played with one of the greatest basketball players of all time in high school, man. That's dope. Support for the Daniel Artest Podcast is brought to you by Manscaped, who is the best in men's below-the-waist grooming. Manscaped offers precision-engineered tools for your family jewels. They obsess over their technology developments to provide you the best tools for your grooming experience. Manscaped is trusted by over 2 million men worldwide. Join the movement for all your below-the-waist grooming needs. All right, so this is what happened to me. I'll tell you my story. So I was in the shower. And I'm like, all right, let me shave with it. So I started shaving, shaving, and shaving. And I nicked my balls in the shower, okay? And then I didn't finish. I had a half afro or whatever, half low cut. You know you know what I mean? So, and, and that's what happened to my balls, man. And listen, and I, I was like, all right, one day I'm going to get an electric, an electric razor. I got an electric razor. It happened to me again. It cut off. It didn't last long or nothing like that. And this is why Manscaped has redesigned the electric trimmer. The Manscaped engineering team spent 18 months perfecting the greatest ball hair trimmer ever created, the Lawnmower 3.0. Their third generation trimmer features a cutting edge ceramic blade to reduce grooming accidents thanks to advanced skin safe technology pioneered by Manscaped. Listen everybody, when I tell you this is premium, I mean premium. The battery will last up to 90 minutes so you can take a longer shave. You know what I mean? So you don't have that half Shaquille sunflower down there, you feel me? The waterproof technology allows you to groom in the shower. One of the coolest features is the LED light as well, which illuminates your grooming area for a closer and more precise trimming. You know, when it's dark and stuff, you gotta shave yourself down there and stuff, you know what I mean? And they also upgraded to a 7,000 RPM motor with quiet stroke technology. And let's not forget about the charging stand. Show your mower off loud and proud because this intelligently designed stand is a convenient charging dock powered by USB. If you are listening, listening to me speak right now, I want you to experience firsthand for yourself. Hey, fellas, trim that junk of yours. Get 20% off with free shipping with the code RTEST at www.manscaped.com. Once again, I said get 20% off and free shipping with the code RTEST at www.manscaped.com. Once again, that's 20% off with free shipping at www.manscaped.com and use code RTEST at checkout. Now I gotta ask you this question too. So, you know, you and Kobe, the top two guards in that class of 90, 1996. And you right. know, you was, you was a McDonald's All-American in that same class too with, with, with Kobe, but you know, due to unfortunate um, situations, you wasn't able to play in it. Um, did you want to prove to Kobe that you was the man, the top guard in the nation when you, um, um, you know, if you was a meet, meet up with him? See, and this was so crazy. Yeah, I never even looked at it like that. Mm. I never looked at it like that. You know, a lot of the guys like Bibbs, you know, those guys that know me, like even with Vince. Oh, they, for me, when they sent me, because the buildup, we nobody really was talking about that like that. 
because guys was at different camps. Adidas, they, those guys, Adidas, I was Nike. Um, but I think with the writers and the people that did the rankings nationally want to see it. But it was so many good guys in that game that at the time, it's like a lot of guys wanted to prove how great they were. I never looked at it like that. I just looked at, oh, man, it's not the beat. The bomb, man. I made the McDonald's game. Yeah. And the reason I was more excited for making the McDonald's game is because I just went and watched Kevin, Paul Pierce, and all those guys the year before. Yeah. So I was like, man, I want to be here playing. Yeah, exactly. Um, so for me, that helped, you know, watching those guys and um getting a chance to compete with guys that good. Yeah, yeah, I understand. And also another uh, um, shout out to Rashad Phillips too from Detroit. He was in that game too as well. Um, oh yeah, yeah. I think he was out of all the people that was in that '96 um, McDonald's All American game. He scored the highest. I think he was like like five foot five at the time at, at, um, in high school and stuff, man. <laughs> I know that you know what's so crazy, Shaheem Holloway. I think it was Shaheem Holloway was MVP. Was MVP? Yep. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Sure. Yep. He was and Stephen Jackson. Look, look, my man Stephen. You know, he still okay. mad that day. He said they cheated me. He got robbed. <laughs> <laughs> That's his story to this day. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, um, you, 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 you did commit to DePaul out of high school. Were there any other schools you was considering, and also was going to the NBA an option for you? Oh, see, so this is. I love. DePaul, because I wanted to stay home and make that impact as well. Yeah. But you know us ways I love to go who I really wanted to play for. Yeah. Was Jim Jim Beheim. Ooh, you was trying to go to Syracuse. Wow. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's who I wanted to play for. I wanted to play for Jim Beheim. Wow. Um as, yeah. A lot of people didn't know that, but that's who I wanted to go play for, too, if it wasn't DePaul. But then when all those was coming in, I realized when Kevin left, it was a chance like, oh, Ryan, you get picked somewhere in the middle of the late first round. I was going to come out then. I understand. But, like, at that time, at that time, things did not go right or going the way they planned. So a lot of kids, a lot of guys self-destruct. For me, it was like collecting a lot of things after that and just presuming to do something I enjoyed playing and just refocusing. And if the opportunity came again, even though like it was hard after the accident yeah, to still get back, you know, the, for teams to even take that risk with doing the fact of having a, the, the, the five and six um, fusion in my neck um done where I played that had to be put in there so it was difficult right after when I had to see some teams doctors at the um Nike pre-draft it was just almost kind of coming off of that injury yeah and I was not right because they was testing it so much to like you know how you trying to like show that ain't nothing wrong but you grimacing yeah yeah they was hitting on that area and I was like yeah and I think about six of the team docs, six or seven of the league teams I've seen, you know, they tested it pretty hard. And I, I wasn't ready. Mm. And, and, and that, that was, so, 
one of the deciding points of the good thing about it, like I said, being young at the time is naive. Naive to the point of you hopefully get that opportunity, but you're still able to keep playing because basketball is played everywhere. So that would kept, you know, most people can go in a, a dark shell. For me, I didn't because I still had the opportunity and the focus. My mind was in the right place to continue on doing something positive mm-hmm. and not putting myself in a place where it was like, you know what, man, all this didn't go right. Fuck it. I'm finna just go out here on the street and make quick money and do this, this and that. No, my mind was never there. Yeah. yeah. Um, and that's what helped me, you know, moving forward through the um, you know, through those through that that difficult time in '96. So obviously, we know that you came back from the injury, and to even be like you know walking and you know how you, however you operating right now is still a win in my book. Um, but for your game, you know, how long did it take for you to actually get back to to you? Listen, to a lot of great players of like adding things to their game every year, and that's when I. I, de- I um, developed a fadeaway, hmm. fadeaway jump shot, mid-range, being able to score it at, at every level, especially when the mid-range was popular from what Jordan did. And I'll never forget, when I really stopped mastering that, that's when I was able to lead the CBN scoring for three straight years and steals. Yeah. Um, And then I remember Vince Carter coming up here one day came to the program, you know, everybody, your brother even played the program before here. Yeah, and I remember playing the program and I, and Vince seen me. And I think that day I had 60. <laughs> and he said, where in the hell did you learn that move and shot? I said, look, I had to add that because when you start playing professional, it's a lot of guys can jump, defend and almost take away what some of the things you're doing. I'm only six, three and a half. Mm-hmm. So for me, it was like these moves, all these things along with body control. Another thing that people don't understand about me, you know, and your brother tell you, there's a lot of guys can jump and explode. Vince will tell you, but there's very few guys I've seen with Jordan type body control to avoid fouls, finish on balance in midair, and take the contact. Yeah. I probably, the only one that was close to MJ to do that on a consistent basis. That's where the comparison came in more. With Kobe, it came in because Kobe was one of the best with the footwork, the fadeaway back to the basket. I had it, but Kobe mastered it to another level <laughs> of, with, of what we seen from MJ. Yeah. And then you, you kind of seen where Later on in the career, as we get older, the the wisdom and that that we you know we gain from watching a guy that great and want to be like him, um, it paid dividends. Um, if you watch Kobe's career as it unfolded, and then for me to be able to continue to play um, professional ball that they you know at, at the height of six three. Um, against guys that six 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 five playing at the two guard position, all those things help along the way. Yeah. So, um, how's your relationship with John Calipari today? You know, it's so crazy. John Calipari was the first guy. That's why I love him. You know, to like people don't realize. You know, he was the coach of the Nets, right? 
he was the first guy that called me up and called me in. Mm. And then they, and then he got fired um, in the mid part of the season. Oh, wow. Yeah. And it was so crazy when I look at Kyler Perry in terms of how and what he has done over the past, like 20 some years, 25 years of how he went in the direction of the athletes and the players that he started to go out of starting with another Chicago guy that started putting them in, in that elite light, especially with point guards was Derrick Rose at Memphis. Yep. And then from there, you see how it blossomed when he left and went to Kentucky and you see the guards, he did Bledsoe, Wall, I mean, Anthony Davis, Carl Anthony Towns, Michael Kidd, Kidd Gilchrist. Mm-hmm. I mean, the list goes on and on. So he had seen this vision way back then when he left New Jersey. And then he went back to college. So, so Ronnie, you'd have been on that team with Kiddos and Gil, right? Exactly. Yeah, man. The funny part you said about I played, this was so crazy. They bought Byron Scott in. I dominated in the Boston Summer League. Remember they had Boston Summer League for the Mm -hmm. NBA? They had it in Boston. It was all the basically East Coast, the Pacers, the Knicks. They brought one team from Germany, I think. And that was the year, remember, Kittles was hurt, and they weren't sure he was going to be able to come back. Right. And that was the spot until what's the name? That's why, you know, I'm not a fan of Byron Scott. Don't like him. When he came in, it's like he had a problem with me from the start. When wow. they when they brought me back the following year and took a guard from, I think, South Carolina that wasn't nowhere near the player I was. He didn't even didn't keep him. But the thing was, Kittles ended up coming back um, strong. And he ended up playing because he was going to retire. Didn't know what was going to happen with that knee. The good mm-hmm. part about it, you know, the moves they made and what they did bringing in J.C. Kidd, because Stefan was there too. They traded him to Phoenix. Right. And, um, I mean, like, it was a good move when you look at the end of the day. It was a good move by – and Rod Thorne was there. Yeah. Rod Thorne was there. From but it Chicago, was a good move Chicago. by – Yeah, it was no, a good move right. by – um. Brought throwing them because they end up, and that's when I, you know, I, I first met Kenya Martin, man, great guy. That was, you know, because he thought I was going to be there with him too. That was their draft pick. Mm-hmm. And they end up still, you know, with Jason Kidd coming in, they end up still getting the two. And Aaron Williams, another Chicago dude, was on that team. Kendall yeah. Gill was on that team. They end up making the two finals. Matter of fact, Kendall got released after that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but they end up making the two year. NBA finals. That was the year um, before that. That was the year they played against Chicago in that first round. Yeah, 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 yeah. Because yeah. yeah, yeah, Jason Kidd was there. They ended up going to back-to-back finals. Yeah. Richard Jefferson. Yeah. They ended yep. up going to back-to-back finals. Yep. Um, I know that you got to go soon, so I got two more questions for you. The first one is um, – Working with the youth, but you got the Ronnie Fields Leave Youth basketball team. Working with the youth, when it comes to teaching the game of basketball today, what is something that you notice from today's young basketball players um, struggles with that of the um, the players of your time? Well, a lot of kids now that struggles with this game is when you watch kids walk into the gym nowadays. Mm-hmm. They don't walk in there with the enthusiasm of playing. 
the passion of the work ethic and hard work and, and, and believing in it. A lot of these kids now walk in with the mindset of wanting the glory and highlights, not the, 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 the work it takes to be great, the coaching, the discipline, and the fun and the joy of playing. They just don't. You watch kids walk in the gym now, you'll think they getting ready to go to work. Yeah. In terms of like, man, damn, you know, I got to play this game. And it's like no joy in it. Yeah. And then the biggest thing you're trying to teach them is the work ethic, the hours. And if there's something you want to do, it takes, it, it takes the work. It takes the, you know, even more now because it's so many travel AAU teams, so many big programs and, it's it, this stuff and grown from the time when we got involved, but we was at the cream of the crop caps back then. So yeah. we didn't get really a chance to play AAU ball like that. Right. So with these kids now, is you trying to tell them like, man, y'all come in, uh, you know, like, not like play, but not really enjoy it and like looking to be, get better. Y'all look at it as, Okay, we got this game, boom, we have a couple points, whatever. I'm good. I'm um that's it. Let me go play on my phone. Yeah, they want that mix, they want that mixtape highlight. Yeah, I'm like <laughs> you getting a mixtape highlight that is not getting you nowhere because you can play against some sorry talent and put right. a tape together. Right. So we try to like work with these kids on their mental toughness, um, the preparation. And a lot of the things now for these kids is the upbringing and the people that's out here for something from them mm-hmm. without really breaking down if it don't work, mm-hmm. how to help these kids navigate past the basketball in life. So, yeah. you know, those are some of the things that we try to teach in our program of working with these kids year in and year out. Man, man, that's awesome that you say that, man, because um, mentorship is definitely something these kids be needing on and off the court. I know I know when I was coming up, you know, I damn sure needed it myself. You know, what I mean, even even though I grew up with with, with uh, you know, in the house, the same house with Ron Artest or whatever, like, you know, when he was coming up, you know, he he was blowing up. And my my ascent to basketball was a little bit different. I ain't become the best player in, in the state of New York until senior year. Once the, you know, what I mean, that was it. You know, and um, I never played in high school. I just played AAU because I didn't really have no guidance. Nobody really, you know, teaching me, showing me the way it was right or wrong. Because once Ron blew up, you know, like he went to that Nike camp and um and um yeah, he was there too. He was there, and then he locked down Chris Burgess, who was number one at the time, and they in they same class. Elton yeah. Brandon, Shane Battier, Ron shut all of them down. Then he came back, a whole new player, a whole new person, and the family just all the attention just went right towards him, you know what I mean? And I always tell this story that I came yeah. in the house, hey Ronnie, I came in the house, I got in trouble I came in the house late. Mind you, in this game, I had a game, I scored 66 points in the game and nobody cared. They was just wondering why I came in the house so goddamn late, you know what I'm saying? So- Yeah, that's tough, damn. It's tough. You put up 60, they should be embracing that. They should be embracing it. So like, I just decided to just do my own thing with basketball. I, I just, I like, I feel like I'm a self, I'm a self-made player. You know, I wish I had like though that coach or that that guidance counselor or somebody to just take me under the wing and show me show me the right way. Like, yeah, I still play professional basketball myself, but it, I think that it could have still went differently. A different way because yeah. 
when I was going to these Indiana Pacers um, practices with Ron and when we was practicing with the with the 12th, 13th, 14th, 15th man people or whatever during the summers, like I was just destroying all of them in front of the organization coach, like, you know, Coach Carlisle or Coach Isaiah Thomas when he was there, Larry Bird, you know what I mean? The ownership and everything like that. So sometimes I wish, you know, I would have had that guidance and everything. And um, you know what? Before we go to also, me and you almost played against each other once. And I was actually trying out for the CBA too as well. Um, I made the team in Yakima, but I end up leaving. Oh yeah, overseas. They always had a, they yeah. always had a hell of a squad, man. Yeah, yeah. And uh, wow, yeah. Who was the out? coach up there at the time? Uh, Paul Wooper. Oh yeah. Yep, he there. a legend there. Yeah. And then um, I ended up playing in Rockford with this other team in the PBL minor league. Under, it was literally a level under the CBA called the PBL was with the Rockford Fury. So I was out there in Rockford. Yeah, I heard of them. I heard yeah. of that. I heard of them. <laughs> yeah, so um, a bunch of Chicago uh, Chicago players was there and everything. Like um, Amir Major, um, his brother played on the team with me and everything and stuff too. So okay. it, was, it was cool, man. It was a cool experience playing in Chicago. And also I went to Deerfield High School in Deerfield. So, you know what I mean? I always made it down to oh, play. Yeah, so you yeah, 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 I always made it down. There. I know exactly what I said. That's where they used to practice. Now they practice downtown, which is better for recruiting NBA players. Nobody don't want to go travel to Deerfield all the time. That's why, you not know, at all, not at <laughs> all. <laughs> it's too far. So, nobody want to go out there. Before we go, we got to talk about these dunks, man. You know what I'm saying? Um, <laughs> it, it was brought to my attention that you was actually doing all of this Carter dunks in high school before it got famous in the NBA. I seen you, we, we know the video where you jumped over Sergio McLean and, and stuff. We seen that, you know what I mean? You know, a couple years later, Vince jumped over the big guy and stuff. But like, tell us about all these dunks that you was doing when you was, you know, 15, 16, 17 years old. You know what was so crazy? A lot of the dunks, like with a dunk contest, like I won all those around the country. Yeah, It wasn't even, you know, those things was, and those weren't even like my best dunks. It was in game of the situation mm. where the dunks that was probably came more famous of like doing unknown when, you know, when people wouldn't think like, okay, man, I don't think he gonna be able to do this. So I think the first time, you know, me and Vince supposed to battle it out at Nike count when it was in Chicago. Mm. But Ben's didn't get in. He 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 backed out. Him 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 in a, you know. And then to me, and I tell people this today, I've seen a lot of great dunkers. Mm -hmm. You know, a lot of great dunkers. And I get credit with credit doing. I like I said, I I I was good in my own right. But to me, like including the NBA, Ben's probably the greatest dunker of all time. Mm. Wow. Period. Like I've seen some great ones from even now. You know, even back then, but when you're doing dunks, a lot of it ain't just throwing it through the legs and the 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 um the unthinkable. It's more than the flair, yeah, of the finish, yeah. You know, because I see a lot of guys throw it through their legs and throw it off the backboard or jump over someone or throw it off the side. I've seen all of that. Yeah. That's fine, funny. I can do done that in my sleep, them dunks. It's the flair of watching the body finish in a in a fashion of like you like, what the yeah. fuck just happened? I, I remember that. that dunk. I, I remember at Nike Camp. 
Yeah, I was gonna say, Nike I think that's count. why Zach beat uh, Aaron Gordon that year. Because every dunk he did when it was tied up was from the free throw line. Hey, and another, another dunker that I respect a lot that I really like is the kid from Chicago. Yeah, Zach. Zach Levine. Yeah, Zach Levine yeah. got some shit with him. Yeah, that's and why. It's, it, and it looks good. Let me ask yeah, you a question about good. that. Let me ask you a question about that. Because everybody, they they was like, oh, Aaron Gordon got robbed. I feel like if you use props in a dunk contest, you don't deserve the win. And you don't. Thank you don't. I don't. I don't. <laughs> I don't look. I tell them now, like, dude. Thank Aaron Gordon, you 6'9". <laughs> First and foremost, that's one argument I don't think he would want to have with me. Because right. I'm like, dude, no, you don't deserve to win. Right. Like, show me without props in terms of being creative on your own with your physical gifts. Of, exactly. Hey, you know what, shit, I'm going to take off from this block, reverse this bitch to the other side, windmill it another way. And that's why Zach Levine won, because he did all those dunks between the leg, 360, either from the free throw line or a step. Exactly. That shit looked good. <laughs> yeah. That's a flair for and the dramatic. Like, I tell one people, time. like, one of the best dunk contests I've ever been in is two good friends of mine, Corey Benjamin and Shay the Monster Cotton. Mm -hmm. Yes, Shay Cotton. At Nike camp. Mm -hmm. And I'd never forget this. Ray Allen was one of the, the camp mentors. Um, a lot of other guys came in, was mentored. So everybody that was there, KG, AI, the, the Collinson twins, I mean, Jermaine O'Neal, I mean, no, not Jermaine O'Neal, um, um, Antoine Jameson. I mean, it was a list to Heidi Weiss and Marky Walker, Toby <laughs> Bailey. I wow. mean, um, issue with Benjamin. It was a stat, everybody. Ron Hart, Ron, I mean, uh, Ron Mercer. Um, Derek Anderson. Yeah, Derek Anderson. Um, uh, um, who else? I think it was uh, Sham God. Somebody else was there. Mm -hmm. So the dunk contest. I'm looking at Clyde Drexler was Corey Benjamin to me. Shay Cotton was Dominique Wilkins. <laughs> I was a mixture of Mike and Dominique. So Shay did a dunk. I was like, God damn. What the fuck? <laughs> Shay, Shay was that dude. And, and, and then, he was like six, 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 seven. He wasn't even that tall. He was about <laughs> six, four and a half, six, five, but just a man child. And then Corey Benjamin, when his his next dunk in the finals, this motherfucker cleared the path. I'm like, what the fuck he doing? Man, this motherfucker took off. i never forget one of my buddies, Larry Alloway from Chicago, was there too. I'm sitting there in a the chair. This dude took off a foot in front of three, I mean, the free throw line, I was, and the place erupted. So, guys, look at me, my boy Larry Alloway. I'll never forget this. He said, Man, I didn't make no emotion. So, they're like, Dude, what you gonna do? Mm -hmm. At the time, I'm like, Man, that was nice. But at the time, only thing went to my head was, I'm gonna do a windmill, but it's how I'm gonna do this dunk. So what was crazy is everybody started standing up. I started walking. I ain't run. I ain't do any of that shit. Mm -hmm. I walked, took two, three steps by the dotted line, went up, did a 360 windmill in my whole body. And if you watch the, the dunk was damn near all over the rim of my damn arm 
was in the rim facing the basket. I didn't even get to do my two dunks to place erupted. They gave me the dunk contest. It was over. <laughs> and that was the dunk that Vince did in the 2000. Uh, and that was the dunk that Vince did in the um, dunk contest he won. That's crazy. That's crazy. That's crazy, man. And then Kevin on Area 51 called that out. <laughs> yep. But I love Vince. You know, Vince was in part of the, you know, the documentary we finished in as well. Like I say, that's to me, he's the greatest dunker ever. And I love Dominique. You know, I love, of course, Mike, my favorite player. Um, and I love a lot of other great dunkers. But, you know, Vince is the one that symbolized me, not in dunk on this, the one when he dunked on Lonzo Morning in Miami. Like that shit right there, yeah. when he dunked on Alonzo Morning. Like if a person dunked on me like yeah, and like move like and Lonzo Morning is a real shot blocker, yeah. like strong as fuck. Somebody dunk on you like that as a center, yeah, and move you out of the way and go around your neck, yeah, like that right there, like is a, a humiliating. Yeah. And you know, and you know, being a dunker, when you bump somebody, you either gonna go up or you gonna go down. And Vic exactly Bunkerman went up. <laughs> and went up, and that's a shot blocker, not a, right. a motherfucking shot blocker. Like yep. people need to understand, it's you know people say dunk on. I know a difference between motherfucking dunked on. I remember one time I dunked on Corey Maggette right after that night. I had sixty. We used to go down there where you know R. Kelly rent the gym out, and we go downtown to the mm -hmm. um, hoops at the hoops. Yeah, yeah. And I never forget my dunked on Corey Maggette. You know how Jordan got that pass in the. And um, on the fast break from Scotty in the Olympics yeah. when he linked in, man, I dunked on Corey McGetty like that so hard, he hit the back pad of the wall and the place <laughs> erupted. Oh, I remember that pad. <laughs> now I'm just like, damn. But, you know, I, you know, like I say, with a lot of guys in basketball today, I mean, I, I love the game growing, but what I don't like is the competitiveness of the best player against the best player. Not mm. three best players uh, on one. fifty percent of the teams or sixty percent of the teams, and the rest of the teams just bad. Right. I mean, I don't. I'm like, damn. Okay, I like to watch like this dude battle this dude. Like, I, I you know, and I understand what LeBron done in terms of from a global aspect, from a lot of things he did for basketball. I really embrace and love. But that's one thing that I don't embrace is the non-competitive basketball when you getting teams making a playoff with losing records. Mm. Like to me, that's that ain't to me is like, and like Jordan said, it ain't. And then people get mad to my oh, you just you can't get free agent. No, no, Jordan's speaking from a competitive standpoint around the whole league of like players not teaming up now it's three. First is supposed to say this two. Now it's three guys three and a half, including the <laughs> six the man. Five. Yeah, three like God damn. I mean, before you know it, and then these young guys look at it like that from their shoe deals, the marketing aspect, this and that. So the my scariest thing for the league is that if they don't put a stop to this some way, you're going to start seeing 15 teams competitive and the other you won't be seeing competitive. And right. then the bets, and it's gonna hurt, it's gonna hurt 
Vegas is going to hurt a lot of gambling places because people are going to know off the bat. Right. So yeah. those are things that I, I hope we can get back to somewhat more than half the teams be competitive. Yeah. Yeah, good point, man. Good point, man. With that being said, man, we're gonna um, I, yeah, go I got ahead. one question. I got one last question. Right? I know you gotta get up out of here. Uh normally ask this question, man. You pick you and four other players from Chicago that you will do a starting five with. Born and raised in Chicago. Yep, they play basketball in Chicago high school, whatever. Even if we don't know. Oh man. Um <laughs> of course. You know, you're going to have to take Ben Wilson. Mm -hmm. um, man, uh, Nick Anderson. Um, I'm going to take Tim Hardaway that a lot of people don't speak a lot about who I really the enjoy. <laughs> exactly. Um, Derek. I mean, shit. Mark McGuire. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, like, shit. I mean, that's five. I mean, shit. I mean, you can throw Isaiah in there. I mean, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, you got, like I said, damn, you, you know. Um, and then even the younger guys. I mean, but if I had to put, like, if you say all defensive team, shit. Oh, oh I'm going to put Tony. I'm going to put Patrick Beverly. Yeah. You know, <laughs> you know, yeah. so from. It's it, man. It's some guys like it's so many great players, um, that you know, and even my guy Paul McPherson, um, uh, McPherson, yeah, yeah, Wyatt. you know, yeah. It's oh, like, not why Biden, Will, yeah, Will, but Will, who I just seen about three weeks ago, who trained a couple of those guys in the draft. It's so many guys, mm -hmm. you know, um, that that we had had and, and, and continue to produce. I mean, even the Jaleel, you look at Jabari, um, mm -hmm. you know, even the kid that came out, know what, none for the heat. Yeah, I didn't know he was from Chicago, man. Oh yeah, he I played at Simeon. Yeah, I didn't know that till later on. Yeah, he played at Simeon. <laughs> you know, even Taylor Horton, that's another, man, that's a, a great kid. I mean, you look at, and then you're gonna have two coming out of Illinois soon, Ayo and the other kid. Miller, yeah. they yeah. will both be coming out next year. So wow. I mean, we got you know the thing Chicago is, still is <laughs> Chicago still producing players, and this is the thing: we could produce more players. Right. The problem is, is that we getting some of the wrong people. Like everybody can get an AAU team, and they getting solid players. But one thing is to have them when they're young. Another thing is to teach them how to start being and honing a skill with a professional mindset. They don't know how to do that. They don't know how to do that yet. Do you, but you'll see as more teams. Do you think that's what LeBron did? Playing AAU and took that mentality into the NBA with being on the team with a whole bunch of superstars and, well, high school stars, I should say, and then bringing that to the league? You know what I think what, what ended up happening is the pressure of what all he done for Cleveland and the mm -hmm. pressure of carrying the mantle of being the face of the NBA. LeBron just didn't want to continue to just be, he wanted to be a champion regardless of what ridicule he was going to face and picking a place like Miami that helped him to team up with a guy that can help him win. It was also like more a business move 
but also mm-hmm. um something different that he he wanted to start um you know in his own way which it's been it's been good in terms of like successful from a standpoint of marketing the league and all the things that he the great things that he do from that standpoint mm-hmm. but for me it's bad in terms of like now you know a guy like ad and ad could have went anywhere else and, and and with a team that's good that just needed a piece like him with good players around him and continue to do that but lebron like i said that's why for me and i, I love him as a player what he brings but he would never, to me, numbers-wise, he's going to outdo everybody. I mean, numbers-wise, he is. His numbers, yes. He played longer. Um, he, you know, he had been on some dominant, dominant teams. And his numbers are going to be that way. But for me, as the greatest player, he can't pass that, but uh, most accomplishments from a you know from the number standpoint he's gonna have all of that yeah and to me right now to me i put him maybe like in the top three because i mm-hmm. can't even put him past jordan gonna be one but i still can't put him past magic in terms of like winning you know in terms of like what magic did when he first came in the league at 19 to win a fucking championship it's like and yeah. it, you know and I and I gotta even have him tied right there with Kobe. So a lot of people look at his numbers. A lot of people look at the, the finals in the stretch. But you all know what it took like back when he played in the East, who was his only competition? Because teams could not get right consistently in the East. Really besides Boston. Besides <laughs> Boston. And when Boston did it, those guys was older. Yeah. So everybody yeah. else who was getting beat up on in his next competition was the Pacers. Well, Wasn't nobody else. Yeah, you well, I mean, you remember that they was one player away from from LeBron and, and D Wade coming to Chicago. Chicago didn't have enough money to get Chris Bush. Yeah, the, but so happened what you realize, you know, the, the the late great um what's his name? Um Jerry Krause. that's from Chicago. That was Jerry Tim No, not Krause. Oh. The um agent, the agent oh. that was Tim Ottawa agent, Dwayne Way agent, oh, and Chris Boss agent. I know you're talking. Mm-hmm. About, I don't know. I forgot his name, but I know you're talking about. Yeah, he was um that that was he wanted them here, but yeah. Dwayne Way really, really wanted to still be in Miami. Yeah. Wow. And the fact the way that deal went down, like I said, um. He had Henry Thomas. He had Dwayne Wade was his, and he had um Chris Bosh. He had both of those guys. So Dwayne Wade and, and Bosh was going together anyway. Mm-hmm. And LeBron wanted to follow D Wade anyway. Right. And it just happened to be they end up in Miami, of course, along with Pat Riley and teaching him how to win. And um, you know. And learn how to win because when he went back to Cleveland and did what he did, not when he won it with Kyrie hitting the shot, is what he did as a player individually when he took Golden State all the way to six with Dallas Vadova 
being <laughs> his second best player. That showed me a lot about LeBron. That impressed right, me. Right. Where where he could have got Finals MVP for exactly. That, yeah. that impressed me more than winning with Miami, more mm-hmm. than winning with the Lakers, and more than winning with Kyrie. Yeah, that impressed me about LeBron because it showed me he learned how to go and battle and pull everything he had out, knowing what everything it was going to take to beat a team like that. Yeah. Yeah, and that showed me a lot, a lot about him. Thank you for listening to the Daniel Test Podcast. Big shout out to Ronnie Fields for coming on the show. You can follow me at Daniel Test Pod on Instagram and Twitter and also on Facebook. Just hit the search button and search for the Daniel Test Podcast. With that being said, I am out of here. Y'all have a good day. Peace. Yeah.